None of what you're about to hear is inspired by a true story. It is a true story. My name is Reed Domingo, and I robbed 12 banks in San Diego, California. I didn't hurt anyone. I never wanted to. I did it all for love and to pay for the devastating debts racked up from the costs of IVF needed for my wife and I to start a family. Let me tell you about how I reached such a point in my life, the wonderful things that happened to me before, during, and after the robberies, and how I found redemption by helping others during my time in prison. So here then, in my own words and in my own voice, is my story. Capital U.S. Credit Cards, how can I help you? Yeah, hi. Uh, yeah, this is Reed Domingo. I, I uh, called your office yesterday with regards to getting an extension on my uh, credit line. Sure. Let me take a look at that. Ah, uh, I see you have our two personal cards already with an outstanding balance. Oh, uh, are, you, are you sure that... I'm sorry, sir. I won't be able to increase the line of credit oh, but... any further. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Good morning. You're through to James. How can I take your call? Yes, good morning. Um, my name is Reed Domingo. I'd be interested in, uh, in sorting out that line of credit that you offer. Ah, perfect, perfect. Let me just have a look for a few details. Uh, I noticed on your commercial that it mentioned that funds could be uh, released within 24 hours. Yeah, well, 24 hours if you've got an account with us. Have oh. you got an account? Well, no, no, I don't have an account with you guys at the moment. Well, then, um, in that case, it's probably going to be about four weeks. We uh, have to sign you up and do a few checks. No, unfortunately, that's not going to work for me. I, I, I would need it sooner. All right, thank you. Mortgages, how may I help you? Yeah, good morning. Hi, this is Reed Domingo. I'd like to uh, apply for a second. Ah, yes, we spoke a few days ago. You already have a second, I do believe. Y yes, I do. I do, actually. So, uh, you're right. It actually wouldn't be a second. It actually would be a third. When did you get the second loan? Uh, about, well, about six months ago. So, to apply for a third requires an application. Oh, and I see. And it'll be three weeks before an interview, if successful. Uh, so, in total, it's about a five-week process. Well, no, I, I was I was hoping actually to sort something out sooner than that. Unfortunately, it's the quickest no? it can be turned around, okay. not any faster. No. Right, no, I appreciate that. Thanks very much. I appreciate your time. So who was my father-in-law? Carl Lorenzen. Physically, he was a bear of a guy. Over six foot, 200 pounds. That would be uh, 16 and a half stone imperial. But he was a gentle giant. If you had to imagine him physically, he was similar to the actor Brian Dennehy. But fortuitously, he was the cocoon version, not the Rambo version. Carl had always wanted to be in law enforcement, and as such, he started with the L.A. County Sheriff's Department in his early 20s. Initially, his family lived in La Puente, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. It is there that Patrice was born, the second of five children. Carl had been reassigned, and the family moved to Lake Forest in Orange County. There, the five Lorenzen children grew up. Having five children to raise, Carl, a devoted family man, took on a lot of overtime, he wasn't always there for his children, but he always made sure they were provided for. When he wasn't working, Carl was very interested in martial arts. 
he trained in the studio belonged to Jimmy Wu. There he studied a very specific form of Kung Fu called Sansu. And over several decades, being mentored by Jimmy, Carl became the highest ranking Sansu Kung Fu master in the United States. This served Carl well, as as a consequence, he became the weapons and weaponless training coordinator at the Orange County Police Academy. It was Carl's responsibility to not only train them, but to actually write the police protocols for weapons and weaponless training. He was so well regarded because of this training that the evangelical preacher, Billy Graham, whenever he was in Southern California, would specifically request that Carl was part of his security team. Religion is very important to Carl. And in fact, I would go as far as to say that the Bible was Carl's roadmap to life. Carl was a devoted family man. And it was this template that Patrice saw as to how a father should be and also how a husband should treat his wife. I had plenty of time to work out and the look said it all. I definitely was no longer the vice president of sales and marketing for a biochemical company. My only commitment was a dozen or so hours a week at school. Being sunny Southern California, I rode my motorcycle everywhere. I wore pink muscle pants and a sweatshirt with the neck cut wide open such that it just sat on my shoulders. In fact, I looked like an extra from an MC Hammer video. It was dressed like this fool that I had my second meeting with Carl Lorenzen. I remember pulling my motorcycle up to the gym. By now being associated with Patrice, I had carte blanche to walk straight past reception down that corridor to Patrice's office. I remember the door was slightly ajar, so I just walked straight in. To my utter surprise, who was sitting there, Pat and Carl. I looked at Patrice, she looked at me. I'm sure she was horrified that her parents were going to see me in this way so soon. But being the people that Pat and Carl are, they just looked at me and smiled. They were happy to see me. Falling in love with Patrice. Putting aside her far faucet looks and gorgeous smile, I have to say what was so endearing for me with Patrice was her self-confidence. I'd never known somebody that had this degree of independence, and on top of that was a highly respected person within the gym. If I had to be perfectly honest, I would definitely say that I was punching above my weight. Whenever I would come for dinner, the table would already be set. And straight away, that made me feel special, that somebody had gone to the trouble to set everything for me. When we used to have dinner together, it was wonderful to talk. And the only thing that we did more than talk was laugh. She really enjoyed my British sense of humor. And, correctly or not, she actually thought I was intelligent. Patrice always had time for me. Whenever I called, she was available. Recalling those wonderful meals at Patrice's, we would have the meal, have our dessert. Patrice would walk around the table and ask me to pull my chair out. Having done so, she would straddle my legs, sit on my lap, and we would be really close. 
I was definitely falling in love. Up until that point, I think I was just dating young girls. Absolutely nothing wrong in that. I was just a young man in my early 20s. But now, fate had brought something wonderful to me. I think for both of us, with the past relationships that we had just come out of, what we were experiencing was new, fresh, and exciting. It was definitely a time where both of us were really enjoying having something that we felt we'd lost in the relationships that we'd had. It was funny, I think a lot of those people around Patrice thought she'd lost her mind. Here she was, married to a professional athlete, and had the perfect life. They had three children, Patrice, a director in 15 gyms. Now, she's dating that crazy guy with the hair and the accent? She must have lost her mind. On top of that, there was the rumour going around that I was a prince. Absolutely ridiculous. I remember the first time that Patrice told me she loved me. We'd been in her office, just chatting, and I said, oh, I've got to go somewhere. And as I got up, I gave her a quick kiss, and as I went to walk out the door, just instinctually, Patrice said, oh, oh I love you. I was already walking out of the door, and I stopped. Looking through that little gap between the door and the frame, I could see Patrice sitting at a desk, her head down. I put my lips to that little crack, and I said, <laughs> Patrice's head just dropped, and she shook her head. I carried on walking, but it had now been done. Patrice had said the L word, and you know what? I agreed. Patrice found me very interesting. I think she was kind of intrigued. The accent's a great starter. You could definitely tell I wasn't from around here. I'd grown up in England. Wonderful England. In contrast to where Patrice had found herself over the last ten years, here I was, somebody young, full of life, vibrant, articulate, but more than anything else, fun. Patrice had felt that she'd lost that sense for herself. Now, being with me, Patrice found she was reconnecting with the person that she really was. To cap it all, I think Patrice was drawn to my personality. She truly felt that I was a kind-hearted person. People always put me with somebody totally different, like Ken and Barbie type, you know. That there were some male instructors, they were like, what, you know, hello, you know, because I was always... I was married, you know. I never messed around or flirted with anybody. So when the fact that came out like, oh, you're divorced now, you know, there was, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but there was a lot of guys that were like, yeah. Um, and they were like, couldn't believe it. They're like, with him? Like, what What do you, are you kidding? You know, and I'm like, I, I like him. He's, you know, it's great. We have, we have in-depth conversations. We're connected somehow, some way. We're from different countries. We're raised completely differently. But we have so much in common. It was the weirdest thing. So I was like, yeah, I didn't care. I'm like, yeah. So when we would walk in as a couple, people were like, what the heck? Anyways, so I was trying to kind of keep him, even though I knew my parents, my parents were awesome people. They judged people on who you were. My dad was a police officer. He knew people. He knew personalities. He just 
kind of a lot like me. It's probably where I got it from. But he just, he would know. And if you were some type of, uh, you know, anybody that just seemed dishonest or creep or, you know, whatever, he's called, you know, crook or anything. Uh, no, you know, he would, he would sense that. And I just thought, ah, uh, but Reed loved playing video games. And so did my dad. So I thought, you know, they'll eventually get together. So then um, I had my parents come over. I forget what it was for dinner, for lunch or something like that. And then invited Reed over and we did his hair differently and dressed him differently. And they were still kind of like, because he looked so young. And even though he was younger than me, he looked way younger than me. He looked like, you know, because of his skin and everything. It just, he still looks really young. So I'm like, no, no, you know, okay, I'm okay. And they met him and my dad liked him. My dad liked them. They had fun and they played games together, you know, the video games. And they realized, oh, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. So I was like, okay, good. So that was fine. So from that point, fine. And his parents, again, same thing. First with the factor of older woman, divorced, three kids. We don't want that for our son. Who would? You know, it just, it, it just seems like you're going to take on some baggage, right? But I wasn't that tight. And we were trying to keep everything, you know, right and real. Um, so, but they were, you know, fine. So his dad, at that time, his parents were like, yes, she's sound. She's a, you know, business person. And the thing that he liked that, you know, when he was, when Reed was living with the other girl, she was really a slob. I mean, their house was a mess. I mean, just... That's the way she lived. I was always very clean, everything placed. You know, his dad would say, house proud. But I was, that's just the way I was. And Reed was raised that way as well. So they were like, how could you do this? You know, how could you be with someone like that? But he just saw her for who she was. And he was like, okay. So when he came into my apartment, he was like impressed. And I think I made dinner. I could cook. Uh, I took care of him. He saw that I cared for him. Uh, everything. It was just like, no, I could tell she really cares for you. And her place is beautiful. And she seems, no. So they were very happy at that time to be like, yeah. So finally, you know, she would step out of the scene. So, so that was it for back to the parents. It turned out to be really good on both sides. Just different, just different. I had to really kind of not so much his mom, but his dad, his accent. I was like, what did he say? You know, and the phrasing, because they have a lot of things that they say, da, 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 and I'm like, what does that mean? You know, it's not an American saying. So I didn't know sometimes what he was saying. It was like, yeah. And then he didn't understand me as well. My kids meant them, and they thought my kids were lovely, but my kids would just stare at them with big eyes like they didn't understand what they were saying. And it was just funny. I thought, they don't understand what you're saying. So when I went to Wales, it was like, oh, my gosh. It's like I stepped back in time. Everybody looked alike. You could tell they were from the same village. All It was just crazy. It was the, the most craziest experience I ever had. And they were speaking English with the Welsh accent. I couldn't. I, I just thought, no way. You're not speaking. You're not. You're speaking a different language. You're speaking Welsh. No, I, there's no way. And they would look at me just like, blank and I'd look at them I'm like I don't know what you're saying I don't know it was just amazing and I think with all that travel and going to visit his place it was a whole new world that opened up you know for both of us it was his quick wit 
It was his personality. It was what we had in common. I'm more connected that way to people, you know. Uh, not so much, not going to say looks from the outside. It's not like, oh, he didn't know. You know, he definitely was just very different looking. But um, you can judge somebody, you know, from like, oh, you think you want somebody because of that, their package that they look from the outside. But inside, they're not a good person or they're not what you want. Or they're, And I was not looking for that. Well, we weren't looking for each other, to tell you the truth. Uh, there was none of that. We just became involved, became really good friends. We enjoyed each other's company. We were like, this is weird. The whole time we were like, this is so weird. We would never put ourselves together. We would just laugh over that, talk about that. Like, um, I went through a lot more than he did with, you know, what I went through with my relationship. But um, we were, it was so much for us to go through all of that. Uh, and it was so much for us to go through all the stuff with IVF and everything. It was just refreshing for us to be us, and we just really liked that. And I never, I never had that with anybody, and he never had that with anybody. So we were just enjoying it, and it just got better and better and better, deeper than to the point where we felt like it was a soul journey. Letting that evolve and having the deep, connection that we have, that's what held us together. And any other relationship would have been severed, severed, gone, not thinking about, oh yeah, that was the time, woo, you know. Uh, but for some reason with us, we're just connected at a deeper level. And I don't know what it is, uh, but we are. And I've had a lot of people, and I've worked with a lot of different people, and I've had a lot of people that knew us and they felt that, but it was just as unbelievable to us as it was to everybody else. So it was, um, that's what helped us go through everything that we've been through. That's the glue, I guess. Deep in there, but that's where it was, yeah. You know, we were just different. So when I got off work, done. No phone calls, no nothing. I would just cook an awesome meal, sit at home and just enjoy the peace of home and a wonderful meal and watch something on TV just to unwind. And he loved that. So we were both that way. We, didn't, we weren't social. We weren't hanging out, parties and like, hey, and doing all that. Kind of, no, we weren't. We were just very, when we got off, it was quiet. It was just between us. It was cooking together. It was laughing, and everything was, it was a constant date. We didn't go out on dates. You know, once in a while we'd go to dinner or something like that, but it was so socially busy because of, you know, especially with my work, um, that that was exact opposite. So even, you know, just through my whole career, it's like, nope. <laughs> yeah. When we moved into my condominium, Patrice presented something that was amazing. Patrice said, it's your condominium. Why don't you pay the mortgage and I'll pay all the rest of the associated bills? It was a win-win for both of us. I only now had to pay my mortgage and have no household expenses. For Patrice, she was no longer paying rent and household expenses. One of the funny things that Patrice did when she moved in was she had a little collection of ceramic vegetables. As you'd walk towards my condo, you would pass my kitchen window before coming to the door. Patrice arranged these little ceramic vegetables along the windowsill. From my perspective, 
I think she was marking her territory. She was definitely letting any other woman know that she now lived there. And this man was hers. It was a wonderful time for us. Patrice had a motorcycle. I had a motorcycle. We used to go bike racing. Once, if not twice a month. It was wonderful. Another example of how well Patrice and I used to function together was that whenever we used to come back from a weekend of racing motorcycles, we'd put the bikes away in the garage, take our gear bags with our leathers, helmets, clothes, take it back up to the condo. And while Patrice sorted all of that out, I would place a to-go order at a local restaurant, go and pick the food up, and by the time I came back, everything was put away, the house was immaculate, and we could enjoy our evening together. Without any shadow of a doubt, those were the halcyon days. As always, things seemed to come to an end. I remember quite distinctly, it was a summer evening, and the phone rang. It was my dad. Hey, Dad, how's it going? His mood was quite somber. The next words always ring in my head. My father told me that he and my mother were getting a divorce. When I was younger, it didn't matter what scrape I sort of found myself in, what mess I had created, the one stable thing I always had was my parents. I knew I could just jump in a car, get on a train, take a bus, go back to my parents' house where I would find safety and security. That was no longer going to be the case. It sounds kind of crazy, but at 27 years of age, I was devastated. It's amazing how things always seem to come, but at that same time, Patrice had now been informed that the marital home was now going into foreclosure. I talked to Patrice, and she obviously made it quite clear that if the house was gone, she would also lose any equity that she had. It was a really nice house. I had been there several times. It was probably worth about maybe three to four times what the condo was worth. We convinced ourselves that rather than paying off the condominium, why don't we take that money, pay off the debts associated with the house? That was the plan. We were going to follow through on it. We moved into Los Rios. Patrice and I talked seriously about what our future was. The answer was pretty straightforward. We were in love, and we knew we had found the right person for each other. Let's get married. It was a surprise when he did ask me to marry him. Um, we raced motorcycles together. Everybody's like, you're crazy, oh my God. But um, so to surprise him, I went out and bought myself a sport bike. You know, so we could ride together because we were riding tandem uh, and we were really good at it. But I thought, I'm going to get my own bike. I'm going to surprise him. So I did. So I got my own bike. And then from there, we can't have anything just normal because we have to do everything different. Um, so it had a lot of pink on it. It had pink rims, pink, everything. So it was a really cool painted bike. And we started racing and he took out my bike. He was like, I, I put a different exhaust system on or stuff and they were tuning it. So the mechanic there working on it, and so Reed goes, okay, I'll take it out for a couple quick laps around the track, right? 
So I see my bike going around, you know, da-da-da-da, going around the track. And then all of a sudden, boom, got a crash, you know, da-da-da. And all I see is a pink explosion. It's my bike. And I'm like, so, of course, half of me was... Oh my God, you know, he crashed. Is he okay? You know, but he had a bunch of, you know, leathers and gear and pads and helmet and stuff like that. And on the race tracks, it's actually safer to crash because they're clear. You just slide off into something. You know, if you crash on a road, you're dead. Most likely you're going to hit a car, a car's going to run over you. So anyway, so it was, it's not that I didn't care. It was just safer. You just kind of roll off and you might, you know, get yourself messed up, but you're going to be okay. Um, and then I saw a pink explosion. I'm like, oh my God, my bike, you know, he's crashed my bike. Only he would do that. Anyways. So with that, he broke his, um, uh, I think the fibula in his calf. So he was in a boot. Yeah. So he had to have a boot, broke it, whatever. So anyways, to make a long story short, I was teaching a class. The owner called me, the owner of region 10 she said some big people are coming into town and they're going to pop into your class so make sure everything looks good and you're teaching your class today some of the facilities i had more than 90 people and they were huge reed and i used to teach together and we had a three-month waiting list because we taught together as a team it was great it was so magical anyways so i'm teaching my class and i'm worried i'm like who's this person coming in oh my gosh i'm sweating bullets i'm thinking okay great you know but i delivered a really good class everything was good everything looked really good and then all of a sudden uh reed comes in with his cast limping in I'm like what is he doing here there's important people coming in today you know oh my gosh you know and i was just like hi like okay you know and then i see our, our other friend with him and I'm thinking, oh, what are these two guys doing up here when I'm teaching a class packed, you know, barely room for them to get in. And then all of a sudden, Reed, I'm thinking in my mind, just keep everything going. And everybody in the class knew, I'm like, hey. And then he comes walking up in the middle of what I'm teaching. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know who these people are. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna get, oh, I just thought, I'm just, this is gonna be bad. And he comes up and he's like walking with something. I'm like, I'm looking at him like, what are you doing, you know? And then he he goes to bring out my a ring in the box and then he goes and I thought and he goes to get down on one knee but he has a cast on and he fell and the ring exploded everywhere and I'm like what and I'm like what like and I'm thinking oh my gosh what are you doing you know and I'm thinking and I was so excited, but I thought, oh, would these people be in here, you know? And then all of a sudden, people start coming around the corner and smiling and everybody. And I thought, oh, okay. So uh, so then he asked me, and I was like, yeah, of course, sure. So it was like a crazy, crazy thing. But everybody knew, and I didn't know. And the whole thing was set up for me to go there because he was going to go there and propose to me, and he wanted to do it in front of our, my class because everybody knew me. And, you know, we were very, um, it was like a family. So he wanted everybody to be a part of that, and they knew him, and the owner knew him too and loved him. So yeah, she knew about the whole thing. So I didn't know that, but yeah, no, he set that up. I'm surprised he pulled it off. So that was that was a very magical time with him and his cast after he blew up my bike and crashed it. And I said, only you could do that, you know?
What do I have to do next? I need to go see Pat and Carl. My parents always instilled in me the importance of tradition. And with that in mind, I knew that I couldn't propose to Patrice without Pat and Carl's blessing. I called them up and told them that I was going to be passing their area as I was doing something for work. Would it be okay if I popped in? Oh, absolutely. They were ecstatic to hear that I would be coming by. We were sitting there in their living room, Pat and Carl on the couch. I was just in a side armchair. I started telling them about how much I really enjoyed being with their daughter and how much she'd brought into my life. They had been dating for a couple of years and there and then I asked Pat and Carl, would you give me your blessing if I asked for your daughter's hand in marriage? Pat and Carl looked at each other and smiled. Carl said, absolutely you have our blessing and we would be honoured to have you be a part of our family. With that, I popped out the ring and let them both look at it. Now that I had their blessing, I had to arrange how am I going to propose. I contacted Patrice's boss and let her know that I would like to propose to Patrice at the gym. Go ahead, I'll let everybody know. My friend Steve and I went to the gym both of us boarding cars where we had broken our legs from the motorcycles. As we hobbled upstairs, I could see Patrice was just concluding her class. Perfect timing. I opened the door, and with my crutch and my cast, everybody smiled and cheered, oh, it's Reed. I walked up to Patrice, she had her head mic on, and I said, oh, can I borrow that a second? Oh, okay. She seemed a bit confused, but understandably. I put the head mic on and I addressed the class. I told them how wonderful Patrice is and that I'd been very lucky to have met her. Then, with Steve's assistance, I got down onto one knee and from my pocket I pulled a little velvet box. Unbeknownst to any of us, the front desk staff had switched all of the TVs in the gym to be showing what was going on in the group exercise room. All of the TVs were showing me on one knee asking Patrice to marry me. I opened the box, Patrice looked at the ring, and I asked her, will you marry me? With a tear in Patrice's eye, she said, I will. With that, everybody in the class erupted and you could hear clapping and shouting throughout the whole gym. It was a wonderful experience, one that I will never forget, asking my wife to marry me. Now that we were officially engaged, we gave ourselves six months to arrange a Vegas wedding. We planned to have our ceremony at the Little Church of the West and follow that with a reception at Caesar's Palace. Everything was coming together. We'd now got married, and I was graduating with a degree in business information systems. My mom and dad came over from England to attend my graduation ceremony. I distinctly remember sitting at the dining room table with my father. He congratulated me on completing my studies and achieving my degree in business information systems. As far as he was concerned, our arrangement was now complete. 
He was looking forward to me returning to Biasign. He also informed me that now was the time for me to return to London and resume being the sales and marketing director for Biasign Laboratories. This is not the news that I wanted to hear. And with that, I told my dad that my plans had now changed and I wasn't coming back. I don't really remember my dad saying very much. I could just see that little vein pulsing on the side of his forehead. That's your choice, my father said. He got up from the dining room table, pushed the chair back in, exited through the front door and made his way back to London. The upshot of all of that? Within three months, Biasign was up for sale. So this is it. Patrice and I were now going to forge our own way. What are we going to do? I'm not sure if you remember earlier, but I mentioned that when we used to go motorcycle racing, one of the things we used to do when we came back was I would place a food order, go and collect it, and then bring it back. This is something we did quite often. One of the things we always used to say was, wouldn't it be nice if we could just call somebody else to go do that? Our business plan came into effect and we came up with the idea for a business called Gourmet Express. The concept is obviously well known today, but it wasn't so much in the early 90s. Without any shadow of a doubt, Patrice is the brains of this operation. Patrice went out and met local restaurants and explained our concept to them. She told them that we had a fleet of drivers, computerized system, we'd be faxing in the orders, taking care of their customers, it sounded fantastic. A computerized system, notepad and paper. Fleet of drivers, you're looking at him. I don't know how we did it, but Patrice pulled it off. And I remember we started our first week of Gourmet Express and we had eight restaurants on our roster. It was a bit of a slow start, because in effect, we actually had to educate the customers on how to use us. We focused on residential deliveries at first, because obviously that's what we were. It was done in the evening. Someone would call, Patrice would contact the relevant restaurant, and then I would go and collect it and deliver it. Here we were, basically, a one-man band. We'd only been running Gourmet Express for about a month. It was a rainy day, and Patrice had placed an order which I needed to go and collect. As I was coming down a hill towards the restaurant, the road bent left, then it bent right. For whatever reason, the car got out of control, slid across the road and crashed head-on into a tree. Unbelievably, I was unhurt. Another car pulled up behind me and asked if I was okay. I said, absolutely. I opened the back door of the car grabbed the bag of food and asked the driver, could you give me a lift back to my house? I live about two minutes away from here. Of course. Quickly, we went back to my house. I opened the garage, jumped into Patrice's car and completed the delivery. When I got back, Patrice and I went to go collect the crashed car. When we pulled up to it, the police were already there with a tow truck extricating the car from the tree. Were you the driver? Yes, I was. Okay, you need to take a breath test. Did all those formalities, everything was fine. When we got back to the house, we were just sitting there. What are we going to do? We've lost the car now. 
With everything that was going on, I was feeling a little bit frustrated. We closed out that first year, and we made about $20,000 for about four months' work. The next year, as the business grew, we probably grossed about one thirty-five. Towards the end of the year, one of our restaurants contacted us and asked us to deliver a lunchtime order to a corporation that they serviced. We did that, and at the end I picked up the receipt from them. That delivery alone was several hundred dollars. Considering we were making, oh, on average, $30 to $50 for a residential delivery, the realization that you could do a lunchtime delivery and make hundreds of dollars seemed really appealing. Why don't we focus on that side of the business? You could say that was the light bulb moment for us. At the end of that year, we closed the residential part and just focused on corporate lunchtime. At the end of our first year of corporate business, we had grossed 650. This was the way we needed to do it. With the money we were making from Gourmet Express, we decided to move. To cut a long story short, that's how we found the Yellow House. We had barely been there for six months when we were getting wind through the grapevine that there were some big boys coming down the coast from LA. They were a much bigger operation than we were, and they were eating up all of the small delivery services just like ours. We knew that we were slightly different because we focused on a corporate lunchtime setup. But the big issue that we would have had was that this new company, as they were coming down the coast, they were signing exclusive deals with the restaurants. There would not be room for us. We could see that this was probably going to be the beginning of the end. And with that, we sold the most lucrative part of our business, the database, to another local company. This was going to be the end of Gourmet Express. Please, God, if you get me out of this, I promise I will never do this again. I paused and I heard nothing. I left out of that classroom and went back to the window that was at the front of the building. I looked out, and where there had been police searching through the hedges, getting closer to the building, they were gone. No police cars, no helicopter. All I had to do was keep my promise. <laughs>